Garden Talk and the Good Food Hour are brought to you by the Santa Rosa Original Certified Farmer's Market. In the KSRO Kitchen, I'm Steve Garner, along with Chef John Ash. Good morning, John Ash. Good morning. How are you? I am doing well. 37 years and counting, 38, we've lost track. But <laughs> but thank you for all the loyal listeners, both here and abroad, that have supported the show and continue to find new listeners. Uh, during the past 15, 16 years since we first met Poppy Tooker, we've had the pleasure of inviting her back on the show to talk a little bit about what's been happening in her life as one of the leading culinary ambassadors in new orleans her radio show her tv appearances her cookbooks and her long history being a native new orleanian um, to entice us with some local color before mardi gras we had the pleasure of having poppy in the studio visiting us i think it was 2008 for the release of her crescent city farmers market cookbook which was a terrific cookbook and we got to know her at that time, and we're just enthralled with her. Good morning, Poppy. Nice to hear your voice again. Oh, gosh. Well, thanks for thinking of me again this year. And hard to believe, as early in the year as it is, it is carnival time in the <laughs> present city. I know you've probably already started making plans for how you're going to celebrate. Run us through what the next week and mm. following week are going to be for you. Well, I'll, I'll tell you, things are so strange. You know, it's early in the season. We have a little rain today. Now, normally, this is my favorite day of Mardi Gras because there's five different Mardi Gras crews that pass down the St. Charles Avenue route. But we've got this bad weather that blew in, and they did the craziest things, the 1130 parade started at 9 a.m. And the parade that was to roll for 6 p.m. is rolling right now at 1 p.m. I, I just, I don't know. You couldn't enjoy a parade, uh, a nighttime parade in the daytime. I don't know. But uh, <laughs> I, my daughter is riding the big change in our lives this year. Is She is riding in music which is uh, the last float in, in the muses, the all-women parade that made the shoe throw, the decorated shoe, that, that incredible crafty thing, uh, the number one throw of Mardi Gras. And Maddie has decorated 60 shoes to throw on Thursday night. So when you, when you, say, when you say throw... Literally, literally to throw. <laughs> well, yeah, they throw things off the parade. I think most of, like with the coconuts, you know, when when the muses, it's a, it's a group of women, I think 1,100 strong this year, Whoa. that puts on the the most spectacular, the, the rolling Elvi, the, the multiple versions of Elvis on little scooters started their rolling crew in muses muses is just a trend setter and uh the shoes are much like the zulu coconut i believe they mostly get handed off the float but the creativity you know that's that's what i want to talk to you all about i'm musing a lot about creativity and hunger in new orleans and how it's unique and unlike any place else on earth you know, um, we have a hunger for king cake, gentlemen. We can't find... It's tough to get a king cake out here in the Bay yeah. Area, let me yeah. tell you. It's the craziest thing. I've been thinking about this lately because we start eating king cake on January the 6th. It is forbidden to eat at any other time between King's Day, the Feast of the Epiphany on January 6th, and Mardi Gras Day. And that's when king cake season ends. Now, there are some heretics who make various versions year-round. The Saints win the Super Bowl and 
we get a golden black decorated king cake. But anyway, the king, king cakes have exploded in the last five to ten years in a way that I don't think anyone could have imagined. And there are thousands and thousands, like there's little bakeries that will sell 50,000 king cakes. I'm not even sure how they produce them. They're operating 24 hours a day round the clock. But when you get beyond the production and then who the heck is eating that cake? (laughs) And I can't imagine another food in another populace, in another place that gets consumed with such incredible vigor and abandon every waking moment. It's appropriate from breakfast through dessert after dinner. And they're drinking king cake flavored daiquiris. And <laughs> it's, it's in everything I've got on my desk right now, a bath bomb that is a king cake and some king cake scented soap. There's no end to this. But where else on earth? Can you all think of another place and another food that's eaten like that with such vigor in such a short period of time by everybody? John? So would you, would you, for those who don't know the legend of the king cake, can you uh, tell us about that? Are, are you there? Oops. John, are you stumped? Yep. No, no. Can no. you what, what, can you tell us the well the, what, quickly the legend of the king cake? And I want to mention that Poppy has a great website where we're looking at the recipe you posted for king cake. Uh, it says I now this is Robin's recipe notes. Who's Robin? Oh my goodness! I don't. You know what? You got me. I don't even know <laughs> that recipe is so old. I, I'm, I, anyway, no, I well, don't know. What you wrote, what you wrote, and true. what you wrote was I vacillate between filled and unfilled cakes. This is what Robin oh, writes. Oh, it's my friend Robin Shemp. She was a member of Chef's Collaborative and she's a research chef. So, ah, that's okay. She, she writes without the filling. I often take a few minutes to braid the cinnamon sugar smeared dough for an equally interesting presentation with this recipe. I find it helps to weigh the dough ingredients for accuracy. So if you want to make your own filled king cake, you go to Poppy Tucker's Louisiana Eats website and you can make that. So a quick uh, historical Summation, yeah, where did yeah. the king cake come from, Poppy? Oh, it came from France, and it's been part of the New Orleans culture forever. It's a, it's the um, the galette de roi in France, and the French still make a king cake, and it is not like a ring pastry like ours. It's a circular cake. It's filled with an almond paste like a frangipani, and the, the common thing is there's a favor a fev inside of their cakes as well as in our cakes there's a baby and whoever gets the favor is the king of the party needs to provide the king cake at the next party and it's a big elaborate tradition that's gone on here literally for over three centuries and for god knows how long in france but in france they only have that cake on the feast of the epiphany on january the 6th here we're just eating it nonstop. <laughs> Next year, Mardi Gras Day is March the 6th. So, dear. God, are we going to eat some king cake uh, next year? Well, you got to get your expando pants out, Poppy. <laughs> so, be, besides your daughter, that's quite an honor to ride on the it's, you, the shoe float where they're passing out and throwing out shoes. Well, Is that correct? The entire the entire crew of muses. I'm sorry if I didn't make that clear. That is their throw, just like the Zulus have oh. a coconut. Oh, the God. muses have a shoe. And there are many different floats. There's some constant floats, like there's the bathtub. The muses, a bunch of the muses ride in a bath. A huge, huge float that holds maybe 25 women in a bathtub. And then there's the rubber duck float that follows that. And it's, 
a tandem float where there are all these little ducks attached behind it. There's probably a hundred women all together on the rubber ducky float, all throwing decorated shoes, each one different from the other. Hand decorated. It's the most unbelievable thing you've ever seen. What are you going to do party-wise? You're going to any parties, or are you going to be cooking next weekend, next Tuesday? Uh, well, you know, I already dropped off a party this weekend, a, a ham and a, a king cake that is a savory king cake with andouille baked inside. But, you know, I have friends on the route, and so it's all about what you bring. The day of the Muses Parade, I'm going to bring a brunch party to a French Quarter courtyard where Maddie and our dear friends she's riding with are going to be kicking it off before they get in the pedicab and go to the pre-party party and then the buses take them to the float and then they're on the float. You have to have great endurance. It's 12 hours or more so, of a big party. So you're in training like 11 months of the year for this this few weeks. Oh, well, of course we are. <laughs> you know, here in New Orleans, the bars never close. Go cups are a thing. You know, it, it, it requires a, a lot of training to know how to do that sort of thing for 12 hours or more. And are, you, are you a fan of the jello shots? Well, you know, I'm the queen of the jello shots. You know that for many years. One time, the cover of the food section right before Mardi Gras said, if you see a bride on the neutral ground and she's passing out jello shots, that will be Poppy Tooker. Because <laughs> I, was set, I was a bride that year on the neutral ground. That was my costume. And I like handing out jello shots. We you know, it's never enough time with you, Poppy, but let's remember you as the queen of the jello shots yeah. for folks that are wondering. You can go to Poppy's website, Louisiana Eats, all her events, her medias, her cooking, the recipes, her entire background. She founded the wonderful Slow Food Convivium in 1999, creating one of the first 10 chapters in the U.S. She's a legend in New Orleans, and we're thrilled to have 10, 12 minutes today to talk with you, Poppy. You've really Thank upped you, our adrenaline. We, Until we, next year. It'll I, be March. Okay. How about it, John? Yeah, we'll put yeah. it on our calendar now. So maybe you'll uh, provide some way for us to get a king cake. Oh, we should start early. Yeah, with putting our request. I'm sure. Down. I'm sure there must be a lot of them that we could buy. Absolutely, absolutely. Just just nudge me on that, and we'll get one in your hand. Okay. Best to you. And I think there's a saying that if we are going to hear a lot in this, it laissez le bon temps rouler. Mm -hmm. Well, happy Mardi Gras, gentlemen. That's that's the main thing. So. Happy Mardi Gras to you all, and until next year, we'll see you then. Be safe. Thanks, Poppy okay. Tooker, live from New Orleans. Back after this, if you want to get your Mardi Gras on early, we have a local chef that's doing it right. It's yeah. the KSRO Good Food Hour with me, Steve Garner, along with Chef John Ish. The bigger the story, the bigger the opinions. When it comes to the economy, Biden is going to drive this country into the ground. KSRO, Sonoma County's News Talk. With a reputation built on four generations of excellent service, Angaro & Sons is your trusted home services provider in the North Bay. How old is your gas water heater? With regular inspection, draining, and flushing, you can expect a gas water heater to last from 8 to 12 years. If yours is getting older or you're experiencing problems, now is a very good time to replace it. For a limited time, Angaro & Sons will replace your old gas water heater and take 20% off. This incredible offer expires soon, so call today. For over 90 years, Angaro & Sons has been the name you've trusted to keep your systems running smoothly. We repair, replace, and maintain your plumbing, heating, cooling, electrical, and solar systems. Offering upfront pricing and a 100% satisfaction guarantee. Replace that old gas water heater with a new gas tank or tankless water heater and take 20% off. Limited time offer. Restrictions apply. Visit AngaroAndSons.com now to book your appointment. O-N-G-A-R-O and Sons.com. 
If you're a human resource professional, recruiter, or business owner, you should have another title after your name, Assistant CFO. It's true. Every person that you hire has a direct impact on the profitability of your organization. Hire well, and profitability increases. Hire poorly? Well, that's not good. Hi, this is Chris Stonick, president of Stonick Recruitment, a national recruitment advertising agency and motivational speaker. I'll be coming to town to host a two-hour seminar on how to better recruit workers, students, and clinical research participants with radio. The seminar is free, fun, and informative. To get all the details or to RSVP, call the following number. I look forward to meeting you. If you struggle to hire and retain great employees, plan to attend the hottest recruitment seminar of 2024, Tuesday, February 13th, 8.30 a.m. at Oxford Suite, Sonoma County in Roner Park. This event is free, and attendees receive two SHRM credits. So please, register now at sonomamediagroup.com or call Kevin Wadlinger at 707-284-9116. Simmer Claw Bar is a unique dining experience blending the bold flavors of Cajun cuisine with the delicate and aromatic flavors of Vietnamese cuisine. The result is a mouth-watering fusion of two distinct culinary traditions, bringing together the best of both worlds. Simmer Claw Bar offers a variety of seafood boils infused with the flavorful spices of Louisiana, while also incorporating Vietnamese herbs and aromatics to add a fresh and unique twist. Try it for yourself at Simmer Claw Bar. Text SIMMER to 85100 for a special discount. Join Dr. Walter Tom for the latest procedures and trends in cosmetic surgery every Thursday on KSRO. If you've been wanting to refresh your look and aren't sure what to do, Dr. Tom and his team at Dr. Tom Cosmetic Surgery are here to help. Consistently voted best cosmetic surgeon in Sonoma County, you can trust Dr. Tom to help you look and feel your very best. Listen to Ask the Expert with Dr. Tom Cosmetic Surgery every Thursday at 1230 on KSRO. KSRO, AM, FM, and online. Depend on it. It's the KSRO Good Food Hour with me, Steve Garner, along with Jeff John Ash. And special guest, locally, if you want to start celebrating Mardi Gras, Mm -hmm. there's only one place in the North Bay you can do it, and that's the Parish Cafe in Hillsburg, California, home of Beignet and Po' Boys and Gumbo and Jambalaya. And we want to welcome owner Mr. Gareth Owens to the show. Good morning, Gareth. Good morning. Thanks for having me on. Now, unfortunately, we can't talk to you because both John and I have <laughs> gumbo and jambalaya well, in our mouths. We hey, just, I'll do all the, I was going to say, I'll do all the talking. We just, have, we just tasted the jambalaya and gumbo. Your thoughts, John? Well, they're both delicious, but uh, my favorite is the gumbo. Uh, all right. And I've tried to make it. It, it doesn't taste like this. <laughs> There's just... <laughs> There's just enough spice in this, but not too much. The chicken, the, the chicken, the andouille, the okra, just everything is beautifully, beautifully uh, assimilated. Now, you bought the restaurant from founder Rob Lippincott. We've had Rob on the show many years since 2010, 2011. He decided to sell a few years ago. He had some uh, stipulations for the sale. What were those to who he was going to sell to? You know, he was really, I mean, he, Rob and Carla put so much of their love and heart into the restaurant. And you can tell from the woodwork to the recipes, right? And they were really looking to find someone who had that same passion for the restaurant to, you know, continue their, their legacy here in Sonoma. And for us, you know, I say selfishly, when we heard the restaurant was for sale, I was like, "Oh, sh- we we need it. We need to do something here. We can't. We want. We want to keep going to the parish." So there was a, a selfish aspect, but um, you know, knowing what the restaurant means for the community, the uniqueness of the the cuisine that um, you know, we really had that same mentality that we were wanting to buy the parish to to have the parish legacy continue here and. Hildeberg and Sonoma County. But part of uh, the the deal was with the sale was that all the recipes went with it. Oh, yeah. That was a big part for sure. We uh, So I worked with Rob um, as we were, you know, negotiating the deal. I was working in the restaurant every day um, and to make sure I knew the recipes and not just the how, but the why everything worked the way it did. Um, and so that's been very important to us is maintaining 
um, that standard in quality, maintaining the recipes, um, you know, the gumbo, jambalaya, creole sauce, those recipes have not changed one, one bit. And you're still open for breakfast and lunch, correct? That is correct, six days a week from 9 till 2. But I understand now you're taking reservations. We just started that, yeah, for the first time in 11 years that we've been able to take reservations. So, um, again, it's about evolution, right, in the industry. And, and Rob and Carla were always evolving in what they were doing. And so we're looking at things that we can continue to, to do to evolve the restaurant. Um, reservations are one. Local partnerships with um, vendors is, is another great way that we've been able to do that. Well, as things changing day by day here in the restaurant business, both here and all across mm. the country, it's wonderful to have the Parish Cafe to count on at Hillsburg. What are you doing in the upcoming week to 10 days to celebrate Mardi Gras? Oh, we've got lots of fun. Well, so we're open um, every day except for Tuesday, um, usually. So what do we got going on? Wednesday, uh, the 8th, we're actually celebrating with our neighbors, the elephant in the room. They've got a special release of Pliny the Younger. Um, and so we're going to be doing some light food for that. Thursday, we're partnering up with the Healdsburg Running Company. Um, they've got these great Thursday night runs or, you know, walks or maybe just show up and eat. <laughs> um, where we do some specials for them in the evening. And then, you know, the big party is going to be on Tuesday. Uh, Mardi Gras, Fat Tuesday is the 13th. Um, and this is our third year partnering with the elephant in the room. And we've got three bands. We start at 2 o'clock. Um, awesome music that we're really excited about. King Street Giants, Brian Boudoir, and we got Spike Sykes and his awesome hotcakes, too. Um, we'll have all sorts of great food, you know your jambalaya and gumbo that you're able to enjoy today pull boys i'm still working on getting crawfish louisiana's had a tough run right now in the crawfish mm, season, no. but i am hopeful i just spoke with my contact down there uh yesterday and she's like we just got our first crawfish in so we're hoping we'll get you some for mardi gras so beautiful do we need reservations for the tuesday celebration we are selling tickets on eventbrite uh 25 dollars um we would, yeah, obviously that'd be a great way to do it. But at the same time, if you show up at the door, we're not going to send you away. Oh, well, that's mm -hmm. nice. Well, that's good. <laughs> okay, so give us the highlights of the breakfast menu. John and I are looking at the menu uh -huh. right now. What are the most popular items? So I always stick with, I love the home of hash. To me, it has everything, right? You've got your andouille sausage, our spicy potatoes, and grits to kind of bring mm -hmm. it all together. Um Top sellers also would be our Nouvelle Orleans, a great Benedict. We use Louisiana blue crab meat uh, that we fly in with one of our great vendors that specializes in Gulf Coast seafood. And you can't go wrong with the Bananas Foster Pan Purdue. On, together too. Onward to the brunch menu. What are some of the tops? Shrimp and grits is kind of one of those items that, whether it's for breakfast or lunch, really tends to be kind of a, a home run. Um, especially right now with this, this cooler weather. But, um, you know, we're we're a pool boy house. It says so in the names, right? Mm -hmm. Beignets and pool boys. Mm -hmm. And we're really proud of all the offerings that we have and have even started uh, having some specials too. So if you're in town on a Friday, come by for our fried chicken pool boy. Or Saturdays we do smoked mm -hmm. brisket now too. Wow. Well, I had the yeah. oyster oyster salad when I was up there, and they were sens oh, the sensational. Parish Cafe in Healdsburg closed on Tuesday, open for breakfast and lunch. Go to their website, and information about the big Tuesday Mardi Gras party, will that be on the website, Gareth? On the website, and we're keeping updates on Instagram. It's a definitely an evolving event. We've just had a new... Another new band sign up. It's uh, actually some, uh, like, I think there's sixth and seventh graders from the local school oh, that are going to have to come out and play, which is a lot of fun. Yeah. So I'm um, really trying to find ways to, to bring all aspects of the community in for this event. Well, and, and so, you, you still do beignets, right? Oh, yeah. Beignets all day. <laughs> beignets all day. Right. Yes. But, so what is a beignet? Beignet is a, uh, a French pastry. Um that you know we use cottonseed oil to fry it's very traditional in the south um and then load it up with powdered sugar with that and ours are 
with that, uh, we will say a sweet ending <laughs> to, right. to Gareth Owens, owner, along with your wife, with Parish Cafe, Beignets, Poor Boys, and much, much more. Continued success and happy Mardi Gras to you. Thank you, and uh, great to have to be on with you all, and have a great Saturday. Thanks. Bye-bye. Sonoma County's News Talk, KSRO, on FM at 103.5 in Santa Rosa and Windsor, and now at 96.9 in Petaluma. Be advised, this is a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to save 40 to 80% on a hot tub and swim spa this weekend only, today through Sunday. Sonoma County Event Center at the Fairgrounds, Santa Rosa. Be advised, this is a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to save 40 to 80% on a hot tub and swim spa this weekend only, today through Sunday. Sonoma County Event Center at the Fairgrounds. 18-month interest-free financing. Our factories have demanded we sell 1,000 hot tubs and swim spas this weekend. Sonoma County Event Center at the Fairgrounds. Huge factory incentives, factory rebates. This weekend only. Sonoma County Event Center at the Fairgrounds. We can remove your old hot tub. Free delivery of your new hot tub. Hot tub starting at $2,999. Sonoma County Event Center at the Fairgrounds. Free delivery of your new hot tub. Just relax and enjoy. Today through Sunday. Sonoma County Event Center at the Fairgrounds. Today, 10 a.m. to 7 p.m. Tomorrow, 10 a.m. to 6 p.m. Free admission. Free delivery. Sonoma County Event Center at the Fairgrounds. Call 833-SPA-SALE or visit hottubandswimspa-sale.com. Angaro & Sons is your trusted home services provider in the North Bay. Our reputation is built on providing quality plumbing, heating, cooling, electrical, and solar solutions. We understand you might feel a little nervous when something goes wrong and you have to call in a professional. So let us set your mind at ease. We offer upfront pricing and a 100% satisfaction guarantee. Angaro & Sons has been a trusted name for over 90 years, so you can rely on us to treat you right. Visit AngaroAndSons.com today and you'll see we offer a wide variety of services including installation replacement repair and maintenance programs to keep your systems healthy and running smoothly and now solar take control of your energy future with industry-leading equipment installed by our highly skilled licensed electricians on garo and sons trusted service in the north bay providing quality plumbing heating cooling electrical and solar solutions online at o-n-g-a-r-o and sons.com Get ready to spice up your taste buds at Simmer Claw Bar. They serve southern boils with a Cajun twist that will have you craving more. Their menu features fresh seafood, bold flavors, and spices that will transport you straight to the bayou. Want to catch the game or enjoy a cold brew? They've got you covered with TVs and 20 craft beers on tap. For southern and Vietnamese cuisine, it's Simmer Claw Bar in Ronard Park. Text Simmer to 85100 for a special discount. I'm KSRO's Dale Tresios with Sonoma County's most accurate, most dependable forecast. On and off rain for today at a high of 54 in Santa Rosa, 53 along the coast. Wind speeds under 10 miles an hour. Bit of more rain overnight, low 39 degrees. Flood watch does begin this afternoon at 4 p.m. That's going to last until 10 a.m. on Monday, largely due to that large atmospheric river coming in tomorrow morning. Two to three inches of rain for most of the county. Depend on weather every 30 minutes. On FM News Talk 103.5 and 96.9 KSRO. It is the KSRO Good Food Hour. I'm Steve Garner along with Chef John Ash celebrating our 37th year on the air, America's longest running radio food programming. And when we saw that it's today, International Pisco Sour Day, <laughs> uh, we thought, golly, wh where can we find someone that's written a recent cookbook on the cooking and background of the Pisco Sour on Peru. Huh. And we found such an author. The book is Eating Peru, A Gastronomic Journey. It came out several months ago, written by Robert Bradley. And Robert's on the phone to talk with us a little bit about the great cuisine of Peru, why we should be visiting there, and the history of Pisco Sour. Robert, thanks for joining John and me this morning. Uh, thank you so much for having me, Steve, and thank you, John. Yeah, you're welcome. So, you so, so tell us about Pisco Sour. What is it? <laughs> okay, Pisco Sour, is, it's basically a uh, mixed drink made with an aguardiente of uva, a brandy, basically. Um, Pisco gets an, its name from the poor, you know, the poor town in south, uh, southeastern Peru of Pisco, and it's been around since the end of the 16th century. So they were making Pisco around 1580s, which is very, very old for mm -hmm. making a distilled liquor. I mean, exceptionally old. Um, most of the grapes in, in Peruvian Pisco are made on this, or, you know, grown on the South Coast, and they have been for hundreds and hundreds of years. 
Um, they're mostly sweet grapes. They're very sweet. So Pisco is very different than, for instance, Armagnac or Cognac. I mean, Cognac's made from a grape called Uni Blanc, French Colombard, which is uh, would, would be bitter. I mean, that's why they age it in wood to take out some of the fire. With Pisco grapes, you don't have to age them in wood. As a matter of fact, to call it Pisco, it's illegal to age them in wood. So they age, what, when they do age Pisco, they age it in, in uh, ceramics, uh, Contaros, uh, these, these kind of very interesting, almost pre-Columbian looking jars. Um, but what happens is because the, there's so much sweetness, you know, you don't get a lot of bitterness in it. And the, um, you know, the, the product tends to be, you know, ridiculously flavorful. Um, you know, the grapes that they basically grow in that Pisco region, they have the major one, which is Quebranta. That's the non-aromatic grape that you'll typically see they make Pisco sours out of. And then they have aromatic grapes, uh, Negro Criolla, Albia, Tarantel, which is Tarantes, Muscatel, and Italia. Italia is a little bit difficult on the origin of that, but they mostly make aromatic piscos, and I would suggest not using those to make a pisco sour. I would suggest sipping those, like you would sip a good tequila. Mm. So that's basically the background. You also include Bob's Pisco Sour <laughs> recipe along with simple syrup. I'm assuming, Robert, that is you, Bob? <laughs> yes, that's me. I, I'm just used to being called Bob. Yeah, I mean, a Pisco Sour is a drink that, you know, originated. Well, there's a couple origin stories. There's one from Chile and one from Peru. There's a big argument between what's better, Peruvian Pisco or Chilean Pisco. That's easy to solve. It's Peruvian for sure. <laughs> uh, Peru has, you know, my wife's Peruvian, so I'm sort of biased. I have to add that. And but, what is the tie-in with San Francisco? Yeah, I mean, you know, you know that's uh, that's really interesting, you know, too. Um, well, you know, Pisco sour originated in the Morris Bar in you know 1920s in 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 Lima. But I mean, the history of Pisco, if I if I go back to that, it started like I said, end of 16th century, going into the 17th century. Massive, you know, when Pisco was made, it was shipped all over the Spanish uh, you know, Spanish colonies. Now, the government of Spain by, you know, 1570 had already put a clamp down on growing more grapes because the, the Spanish, the crown, wanted to make all the revenue on all the vineyards, you know, everything else. And a lot of it was done clandestine. It was smuggled all around. So that's the way that, uh, you know, Pisco grew. When they discovered the silver mine of Potosi in Bolivia, which was the largest silver mine the world had ever seen, it changed the world economy. And lots of Pisco started to go to Bolivia, to that town. That, at one point in time, Potosi was the richest town in the world. So that's where it was going. And then when Potosi was running out of silver, which is towards the beginning of the 19th century, so, you know, basically, uh, 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 you know, 1800, something like that, you started to see more and more shipments going to other parts of Spanish Americas. In California, they start shipping, and you, there's manifest, Pisco Italia in the 1820s, and it's still part of Mexico, which is really fascinating. And then after California, you know, becomes part of the United States, et cetera, et cetera, that Pisco is shipped up, in, up there all the way through the 19th century. So if you're in a cowboy bar, uh, you know, you're in a Wild West bar on the Barbary Coast in the 19th century in California— you're not drinking whiskey. You're drinking Pisco. I mean, it's sort of fascinating when you think about it. And was it labeled as Pisco? Yes. Yes, it was. Yeah. I mean, there's there, there's a really good book. It's a, it's in my book that reference actually shows documentation of the labels. It was labeled mostly Pisco Italia. So there was already a brand, which is absolutely fascinating. Now, of course, as time progresses, one of the most famous places in California was the Bank Exchange Bar, this Unbelievable bar, which is, I guess, where the Transamerica Pyramid is today. Mm -hmm. But that bar had a recipe for the Pisco Punch, which was world famous. Roger Kipling said when you drank it, you felt the little angels flying around you. <laughs> and apparently, if you had more than a couple of them, they made you go walk around the block. And it's a really big block. 
and then you'd have to come back in and get evaluated on whether or not you could have uh, another, another one. Yeah. Uh, I put in my book, uh, you know, there's a couple scholars that dug down what the original recipe was. It's basically uh, lemons, lemon juice with, uh, you know, pineapple, lots and lots of Pisco, this Arabe gum, which they don't make anymore, but you can make it. There's a recipe on making it yourself. And, um, you know, they must have put a lot of Pisco in there. There's, there's no doubt about it. Some people had speculated the drink was so famous that they actually put cocaine in it. But um, I read one writer saying that was impossible because it wasn't invented yet. But that's not correct. I mean, cocaine was invented by a German chemist in 1865. So it was around. I mean, whether or not they did that, who knows? I mean, um, but the bank exchange had this incredible drink and it stayed popular until Prohibition closed the place down. Um, what happened after that was Pisco shipments obviously, you know, stopped existing. And then we had World War II where the supply lines between South America and the West Coast got more strained. And after World War II, basically tequila filled in that niche. Mm -hmm. And, you know, Pisco's never really claimed, I'd say, the, you know, the same status that it had, you know, back at the end of the 19th century again in California. We'll take a break um, at that point, Bob. The new book is Eating Peru, A Gastronomic Journey. We'll move from the liquid libations into why is Peru considered one of the mm. great gastronomic centers of the world? Mm -hmm. I didn't really know this, and we hope you can illustrate some of the reasons why. The book Eating Peru, A Gastronomic Journey, and author Robert Bradley, our special guest to the KSRO Good Food Hour with me, Steve Garner, along with Chef John Ash, back after this. Fight for change. Get us someone in the White House that's actually going to do something. KSRO, Sonoma County's News Talk. It's Dennis from the Santa Rosa Original Certified Farmer's Market at Luther Burbank Center. I'd like to talk a bit about our market. Sure, we have great coffee, crepes, salsa, sausage, fruits, veggies, crafts, and much, much more. But to me, it's what you can't buy that makes the market special, and that's the people. You may have heard me speak with Steve on Saturday mornings on Garden Talk about buying potatoes from Tom or mushrooms from Barbara, forgetting to mention their business names. This is due to the relationships developed with those who grow the food we eat, something you can't get at the big supermarket chains. The vendors are a great resource to help create the perfect meal for you and your family. Bring your kids, grab a bite and something to drink, and Shop the Farmer's Market voted the best farmer's market in Sonoma County two years running in the Press Democrats Reader's Poll. We've been doing this for 50 years. We must be doing something right. So come and visit us at the Santa Rosa Original Certified Farmer's Market, Wednesdays and Saturdays, 8.30 to 1. Recruiting great applicants to work at your company is not difficult, nor is it expensive. Keeping bad workers, even just one bad employee, can be very expensive indeed. Ineffective workers cost you time, productivity, and most important, customers. Hi, this is Chris Stonick, president of Stonick Recruitment, a national recruitment advertising agency and motivational speaker. I'll be coming to town to host a two-hour seminar on how to better recruit workers, students, and clinical research participants with radio. The seminar is free, fun, and informative. It's also accredited by the Society for Human Resource Professionals. HR professionals will earn two recertification credits just for attending. To get all the details or to RSVP, call the following number. If you struggle to hire and retain great employees, plan to attend the hottest recruitment seminar of 2024, Tuesday, February 13th, 8.30 a.m. at Oxford Suite, Sonoma County in Roner Park. This event is free and attendees receive two SHRM credits. So please register now at sonomamediagroup.com or call Kevin Wadlinger at 707-284-9116. When you're looking for a dining experience that's packed with flavor and fun, try Simmer Claw Bar. Southern-style boils with a Cajun twist are their specialty, and they're confident you'll love them too. But they're more than boils. The menu features fresh seafood, delicious sides, and a variety of craft beers on tap. With a large seating area and multiple televisions, enjoy the flavors of the bayou at Simmer Claw Bar. It's a perfect night out with friends and family. Text SIMMER to 85100 for a special discount. It's the KSRO Good Food Hour with Steve Garner and Chef John Ash. Special guest today is Robert Bradley, author of Eating Peru, A Gastronomic Journey. So why is Peru considered one of the great gastronomic capitals of the world, Robert? 
Well, sure, sure, Steve. I, I can make this real simple. I mean, it, it's it's location, you know, sort of location, location, location. And I think the things that are grown in Peru and they have been grown over millennia. My background is really I'm a pre-Columbian scholar with especially in the Andean world is I, I think that's the beginning part that makes it so special. And then, of course, there's a lot of different groups that come in. You know, after the conquest era, for instance, the Spanish initially bringing in, you know, their foodstuffs. And then you have, uh, you know, the Chinese coming in, the Japanese and the Italians. And it just, Peru becomes this just great gastronomic center. Uh, the first thing is the, uh, the, the ocean. I mean, the Humboldt Current, which is this cold Antarctic current, wells up from Antarctica and it hugs the coast of Western South America all the way to northern Peru, and then it shoots out to the Galapagos Islands. And this produces cold, dark water that are just the best maritime uh, fishing grounds in the world. Peru has gone to war over their fishing grounds. They're so prolific. And that's where all the great ceviche, all the things that they pull out of the ocean. And that's been going on forever. I mean, Junius Bird did an excavation at Waka Prieta, this 4,000-year-old site. And when he excavated, you know, the tomb of a woman who had died there. Uh, well, he, he found out that the last meal that she had was different types of shellfish, fish, exotic fruit. Mm. So ancient Peruvians were eating this incredible diet. And I think a lot of that is what basically forms why Peru, you know, is such a gastronomic center. For past nine years, number one center, and it's got the, the best restaurant in the world, or Central in um, Barranco in Miraflores. So ceviche is a touchstone for Peruvian food, but it's different than the ceviche that we have down in Mexico or someplace like that. Can you talk a little yes. bit about that? Yes, it's, it's, it's very different. I'd say the hallmark of Peruvian ceviche is, once again, there's so many fish that they can pull out of uh, that ocean. Everything from ojo de ubo, which is medusa fish, um, you know, that wasn't pre-Columbian. You need a deep line to get that fish. But uh, things like robolo, snook, uh, linguada, flounder, um, there's all these beautiful, beautiful fish. And the hallmark of Peruvian ceviche is it's the freshest in the world. I mean, the stuff, a lot of these local markets, and I'd go down to the, or go to the North Coast to visit family with my wife and my children, and I'd go to the market every day, and there, it just, a lot of the fish just got pulled out of the ocean. I mean, in northern Peru, they even had these pre-Columbian cabalitas or tortora, which are these reed boats. And they still, in Pimintel, there's still a fleet active where they go out and they bring in the fish. And when they come in, you can buy the fish directly from the fishermen who just put the thing on the back of the reed boat. So that's the first hallmark is the freshest fish you can possibly get. Um, it's also, you know, just lightly tossed with lime. There was a tradition in Lima for many years, and this was from the Europeans that were coming in, where they would soak the ceviche in the citrus, and obviously the citrus came in with the Spanish. They didn't have that there, but they would soak it for hours. And the Nikkei, the Japanese chefs, same, said that they came in and they changed that in Lima. And that's true in Lima, but I think in the other parts of Peru, especially when you go up and down the coast, there were peoples that were eating more raw fish and more used to that than there were in Lima. Uh, and by the way, when in the 19th century, if you look at what they were making ceviche, they were making it with the bitter orange. Um, the bitter oranges, you know, they basically have died out almost everywhere in Peru, except a town called Huacho, which is central coast. And they supposedly still have a ceviche made with uh, bitter orange. I'm trying to get there. I want to plan a trip, I think, maybe this next time I get there this summer and find out if that's still going on. But um, any, anyhow, it's changed. It's obviously just mixed lightly with limon, lots of hot pepper. I mean, Peru has some, you know, four different types of pepper that, well, two of them for sure that aren't in other parts of the world. The aji amarillo, which is more flavoring agent. Um, it's actually orange, and they have rocoto, which is like a little mm. bell pepper, which is fiery hot. And then they'll have the habaneros, which which still have a different name, ahi limon. Uh, you know, they'll use that name. There's there's mochero peppers near the town of um, 
Trujillo, but they, they have some really spicy hot peppers that go well. And they garnish it with uh, choclo, which is big kernel corn, and mm. sweet potato. The sweet potato is very nice because it cuts the heat. So there is a little primer on the history yeah. of ceviche in Peru. It it also there one of the uh, the hallmarks is uh, the coconut milk um, that is added to the ceviche too. The the what is it? Uh, what do you call it? The uh, leche de, de tigre. Oh, leche de tigre. Yeah. Leche. Leche de tigre is really, really interesting in that what they'll do is they'll take the fish and they'll soak it in the lime juice and then they'll take what's left over. You know, you get actually what would it be a milky substance from the lime actually cooking the, uh, the fish. And then they'll mix that with some shellfish, maybe a little bit of seaweed. And, um, you know, maybe a, a, a little piece of fish, too. And they'll fill a cup with that and serve that as an aperitif. Mm-hmm. They'll also serve it as a hangover remedy, you know, and especially with the, with the hot pepper and the very fishy, you know, taste and the lime and everything. But it will knock out a hangover. <laughs> Leche de Pantera is actually when you take that drink and you mix in a shot of Pisco. And that's supposedly going to really get rid of your hangover. So, you know, that's fascinating i think <laughs> so besides ceviche to bring us to peru what other highlights can you bring us gastronomically oh my god uh cabrito the kid goat stew of the north coast is mm. famous um it's it's made with um you know uh, aji amarillo which you'll see in most of the cooking i mean i i grow my own aji amarillo plants in the backyard here i smuggled the seeds back uh, i hope that doesn't get me in trouble but it's really almost impossible to get aji amarillo in the united states um it's it's uh a fresh i mean you can get it in a paste it's just not the same so they use aji amarillo in that they'll use uh, your pretty standard stuff you know tomatoes uh, you know or you know, uh, red onions, I mean, some things like that. Um, the other thing that they'll use in it, though, which is really hard to get, is like loche squash. And loche squash is a squash that's been grown in Peru for 10,000 years. It's specifically only grown in northern Peru. So it's a very, very uh, unique thing. And, and that's, they use that to make the cabrito. I've had people tell me that, make cabrito from that area they said if they make cabrito without having loche squash um it just seems like it's watery john and, so so the the other things that peru is justly famous for corn choclo uh and specifically the big corn uh which once in a while we'll see here but it's it's like corn on steroids uh, <laughs> that uh uh, is used as kind of a garnish and all of that stuff. And potatoes. What are there, 10,000 different varieties of potatoes? Yeah, John, it's almost impossible to get a number on that. Yeah. I mean, I've heard everything from 400 to thousands. Um, but, you know, basically the Andes is the origin of the potatoes. Uh-huh. Some people you know, argue whether it's Chile or Peru. I'm not going to try to fight that one. Um, but... But yes, there's all kinds of you know beautiful and wonderful potatoes. The shame is that when the potato gets exported after the pre-Columbian exchange or the Columbian exchange, it winds up going all over the world, but only one variety of potatoes, which is what causes the potato famine. And it's the reason why our potatoes basically have so much pesticide and so much, you uh, uh, need so much fertilizer. I mean, in Peru, you could still get semi uh, wild potatoes, like wiro potatoes, where they actually use them in, in even like uh, sandwich places, like uh, you know, uh, uh, you know, Don Lucho. I mean, they'll, they'll use them in places like that. So, um, yes, there's a preponderance of uh, potatoes, and I wish they would start exporting more and more of the other ones. But the problem with those, there's always this battle between. Uh, whether a, a plant has these natural toxins, which are not good for us, and then you get rid of the toxins as you domesticate it, but then you have to use fertilizers and pesticides. Yeah. 
Is there a culinary capital, Lima, we think of when we think of Peru? Are there other major cities that are considered a culinary destination? No, no. I mean, the gastronomic boom is basically epicentered in Lima. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's where all the world-class chefs are. As far as Peruvian, uh, you know, centers where Peruvians go to eat special dishes, yeah, I'd say um, if you look to the north, it would be Lambayeque, this town outside of Chiclayo. Um, Atiquipa, Atiquipa is a colonial town in the south. It's very famous, especially for Rocoto, these these stuffed hot peppers. Yeah. I mean, that's and it's also got beautiful colonial architecture and some beautiful volcanoes with snow, with snow on them, you know, in the distance. So that's also worthwhile going to. And Cusco, because Cusco was such a colonial center, and that was the navel of the inner universe for the Inca Empire. So that was their Rome. So those places are worth visiting. Um, but as far as the real, you know, gastronomic boom, I mean, you know, it's centered in Lima. Well, you're, you should be the culinary Pisco yeah. ambassador to Peru. I don't think we've ever well, had anyone that's spoken so articulately and passionately yeah. about reasons to visit Peru. Even if you're not interested in looking at Machu Picchu, <sighs> Peru's got a lot more going on than just Machu yeah, Picchu. Yeah, it does. It does. So, so how about leading uh, a tour? Oh, sure. I, w- I would love to. I mean, if there's one thing, I don't know if I have time yet, but I wanted to give my Pisco Sour recipe. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we've got about a minute and a half. Okay, let me do this a minute and a half. All right, I think in my book I said two and a half shots of Pisco to everything else when you do the proportions, and this would all be one, one, whatever. Nowadays, I notice they're doing three or three and a half. So the Pisco amount has basically increased. I would suggest using Cabranta Pisco or Altralata, which is a blend of two different Piscos. Both of those Piscos are not for sipping. They're for making a Pisco sour. For, you know, three shots of that, then I would use one shot of key lime juice, freshly squeezed, one shot of simple syrup or three quarters of a shot, depending on how you make it. I take uh, basically uh, either spring water or distilled water, and I reduce that with the same amount of sugar down the half to get kind of a syrupy consistency. So let's say a shot or three quarters of a shot of that and one egg white. Um, You should shake that. You can put it into a blender, but it'll be different. It's better to shake it and then, you know, serve it. And you should have green towards the bottom and a froth on top with three or four shots of bitters. Wow. (laughs) The book is Eating Peru, A Gastronomic Journey by Robert Bradley. We have to have you back. We've just touched the surface of the great cuisine and beverages of Peru. Thank you for spending time with us, and thank you for writing this wonderful book, Robert. Thank you. It's been my pleasure. Thank you. I hope, you, Steve, you and, and John have a great day. Best to you. International Pisco Sour Day. Mm-hmm. We couldn't have a better guest, yeah. could we? Yeah. Back after this. The real issues. The number one issue we hear across the Commonwealth is concerns about Biden's inflation. KSRO, Sonoma County's News Talk. Angaro and Sons is your trusted home services provider in the North Bay. Their reputation is built on four generations.